A friend who knows some of the challenges that I've been facing recently sent me a text message that kind of not only made my day, but made my week, made my month, maybe my year. Here it is. I've been listening to a bunch of leadership podcasts lately. They talk about the qualities and practices of a great leader. You know who it sounds like they're describing? You. You're a great leader, and I'm so glad I get to rub shoulders with you. Now, I'm pretty sure I don't deserve that, but it was a nice message to get anyway, right? Uh, made, made me want to live up. It, it, it kind of made me want to walk a little straighter and reach a little higher and serve a little better. Um, I saw a quote this week. Act like a somebody who makes everybody feel like a somebody. Act like a somebody who makes everybody feel like a somebody. I like that. Because how you treat other people, how you make other people feel, says a whole lot about about you. So how are you doing encouraging other people? Are you truly helping other people? Are you making other people live up? Are you making them want to walk a little straighter and reach a little higher and uh, serve a little better? Uh, we're going to talk about encouragement today. So I want you to open your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We'll start with verse 11. 1 Thessalonians 2, beginning verse 11. And if you're watching online, I want to thank you for watching and for joining us, and you can connect with us by emailing connect.cvconline.org. Uh, we're continuing this series through 1 Thessalonians. So this is actually a letter that was written by a spiritual leader named Paul who started this church in a city, a community called Thessalonica. Uh, it was in ancient Greece. Uh, you see it there just uh, north of the Aegean Sea. Uh, this man had Paul, who had planted this church, traveled there. But the message about Jesus was so unpopular in that culture that he eventually had to leave town for his own safety. Later, uh, he wanted to encourage this church to continue in the faith. Uh, while they were waiting for the return of Christ, they were suffering and they were confused. And so Paul writes them this letter. Why? They needed encouragement. And guess what? So do the people around you. And so we need to explore what this letter has to say about how to encourage people. So let's read the passage and then we'll, we'll dive in. For you know how, like a father with his children, happy Father's Day, you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. We also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you brothers became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displease God and oppose all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. So as always to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them at last. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope? or joy, or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at His coming. Is it not you? 
for you are our glory and joy. Again, why did these followers of Christ need encouragement? And the short answer is they were suffering. Well, why were they suffering? Well, they, as we learned last week, were amazed that they had been adopted into God's family. They were part of God's household. They were beloved children of God. That seems like a cause for celebrating, not a cause for suffering, right? So why did they suffer? I want you to follow a pattern that we see here in this text, and it'll tell us why they were suffering and why they needed encouragement. First, they walked worthy of God. They walked worthy of God. In verse 12, we read this, Walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So the word walk here refers to kind of like a, a manner of life. It refers to a lifestyle, how you live your life. It means that your whole life is to be a life that is worthy of God. Now, we cannot add to God's intrinsic worth. He is infinite in his worth and value. But not everybody sees that, right? So we have the opportunity to live these attractive lives, these holy lives, these lives that are set apart, that actually create curiosity in the lives of people around us. So that the guy that works next to you at the office is asking questions. So that the neighbor across the street is asking questions. Why do you do that? How do you do that? Why do you live that way? Because you know what? Your life is so incredible, I really want what you have. And then we say, well, you know, it's not me. It's Jesus in me. It's God in me. I live this way by God for God. This is the kind of life that is walking worthy of God. We are helping others around us see just how valuable God is, what a treasure he is. So what we're doing is we're adding to his worth in the eyes of the world. So are you walking worthy of God? What are some things that are going on in your life that you go, you know what, honestly, that's not worthy of God. It's got to be eliminated. I remember a children's song. Let me see if I can sing it. Ready? <laughs> be careful, little eyes, what you see. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. There's a father up above, and he's looking down with love, so be careful, little eyes, what you see. Be careful, little hands, what you do. Be careful, little hands, what you do. Jesus died and rose again to set you free from sin, so be careful, little hands, what you do. And be careful, little feet, where you go. Be careful, little feet, where you go. The Spirit lives within, and He is grieved by sin. So, be careful, little feet, where you go. These are the kinds of thoughts that we need to have if we want to live lives that are worthy of God. They walked worthy of God. Am I? And are you? Second thing I can think you can see in the Thessalonians is they, the word worked in them. Verse 13 says, You received the word of God, which you heard from us. You accepted it, not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. The word was at work in them. Is the word of God at work in you? Are you, as the sign says over here, a self-feeder? Do you read your Bible, and because of what you read in your Bible, make changes in your life? A long time ago... I learned we're supposed to put our specs on when we read the Bible. S-P-E-C-S. 
The S stands for, is there a sin to avoid? The P, is there a promise to claim? The E, is there an example to follow? The C, is there a command to obey? And the S, is there a service to perform? Now leave that up there just a little while, please, because after the last service, people came up to me and wanted to know, what was that again? (laughs) Here's the point. Read your Bible. Ask and then answer these questions and determine before God that you're going to obey what God says to you. And when you do that, the Word will be at work in you. That's what it means. Are we letting the Word of God work in us? Is the Word of God being used by the Spirit of God to actually change our lives? So the Word worked in them. Third thing you can see about them, they spoke so that souls were saved. They spoke so the souls were saved. You can see that in verse 16. It talks about how the Thessalonian church was like the churches in Judea who were forbidden and hindered from speaking to the Gentiles so they might be saved. Think about it. Everybody you know has a soul that is going to live forever. And the Word of God says that unless you receive and follow Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, your soul will be in hell forever. The good news is, if you know and follow Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then you'll spend an eternity in heaven forever. The Bible never talks about purgatory. It's either heaven or hell. That means we have a message that needs to be shared. that, That person who's really good, that lives across the street from you, who doesn't know Jesus, is headed for hell apart from Christ you got to share the news of Jesus with them. You know people that would never, ever listen to a pastor like me. Never, ever. They go, you know, that dude gets paid to say that. You, You don't get paid to say it, right? You have access. They will listen to you. You have influence, and you have a responsibility before God. This person who you call Lord, which means boss or ruler or master, has said, be my witnesses. That means we got to open our mouths and say it. We talk a lot around here about missional living. We talk a lot about serving. We talk about doing good deeds. We talk about showing people how much we care. And we are good at that here at this church. I think maybe we're better than most churches at that. We've got a lifehouse strategy here. We talk about loving our eight closest neighbors well. And we've got a threefold strategy for that. There's prayer, there's care, there's share. So we go, how can I pray for you? Where those conversations go, that's great. And we're going to do good deeds to our neighbors. And we're going to do random acts of kindness. We're going to serve them. But at some point, we move beyond prayer and care to share. We have to open our mouths. The gospel of Jesus Christ needs to be spoken. It's not only to be proclaimed in, in deed, but also in word. So we do good deeds to create goodwill to share the good news. No little old lady ever got saved from hell because some Boy Scout walked her across the street. (laughs) That Boy Scout's got to also tell her about Jesus. And if he doesn't tell her about Jesus, he just helped her across the street to an ultimate hell someday. We got a message to proclaim. 
I'm not talking about becoming people that bang people over the head with the Bible. I'm not talking about becoming people that just pass out literature without any relational context. But at some point, we move beyond hearing their story to sharing our story about how we came to know Christ and then ultimately sharing his story. If we do good deeds of kindness and we never really talk about Jesus, then we're no different from other good people out there in the culture who are also doing good deeds and maybe they're doing them even better than we are. You say, well, I don't know how to get a conversation started. Let me give you five simple questions that can help you start a conversation. One, we already talked about earlier, how can I pray for you? Second, do you have much of a spiritual background? Just see where the conversation goes. How would you describe your spiritual journey? How do you make, should be in there, the most important decisions in your life? And sometime I like to share with you what's most important in my life. Would that be okay? Which one of those do you think you could maybe use with a neighbor or a friend at work? Pick one. And then say, God, help me to ask the question. And get the conversation going. And we've taught you here a very simple way to share the good news of Jesus. We call it the Three Circles Life Conversation Guide. You can pick up a little brochure like this out in the foyer. Uh, if you can remember three circles, three arrows, and nine words, then you can talk to people about Jesus. You don't have to have a seminary degree. If, if God is on the move to cause them to be born again, just catch the baby. Catch the new birth by opening up your mouth and talking about Christ. You can share the greatest story ever told about the greatest person who ever lived who made the greatest invitation ever made. They spoke so that souls were saved. And because of these things, the Thessalonians suffered. Now again, they knew they were adopted into God's family. They were beloved children. They got it. They knew that. And that's what motivated them to live a life worthy of God. That's what motivated them to walk, uh, to let the word work in them. That's what motivated them to share the good news of Christ. So they were sharing an unpopular and an unwelcome message that Jesus is king, not Caesar, and that he's the only way to be saved, to be forgiven, and to have a hope for eternity. In Thessalonica, when the apostle Paul went there to start the church, was a man named Jason. And Jason, um, in Acts chapter 17, uh, shared the good news of Christ, welcomed the uh, missionaries there, and the people of the city dragged Jason and some others before the city officials. And they said, Jason here is helping these men who have turned the world upside down. They are acting against the decrees of Caesar. Uh, these guys are breaking the law by talking about Jesus. They shouldn't be talking about Jesus the way they're talking about Jesus. They're saying that there's another king besides Caesar, and his name is Jesus. And what Jason had to do is he had to pay up before they'd let him go. And the Apostle Paul, who started the church here, who wrote this letter, he had to leave town in order to stay safe. This is the kind of suffering that the Thessalonians face. Now, what do we face? Maybe a little ridicule, maybe a little rejection. And some of us, sadly, don't suffer anything for Christ. And I think that's a shame. Just three weeks ago, 29 of your brothers and sisters in Christ were gunned down in Egypt on a bus headed for a Christian retreat. 
ISIS claimed responsibility. Some guys who claimed to be security officers um, had guns, stopped the bus, ordered the passengers to get out. They separated the men from the women. They told the men to recite the Islamic Declaration of Faith. And when the men refused, because they were followers of Jesus, the gunmen opened fire. 29 people were killed, several with a single shot to the head. Some were children. The Islamic State there in Egypt calls these Coptic Christians its, quote, favorite prey. So this is what some of our brothers and sisters in Christ are suffering around the world. And we won't open up our mouths to talk about Jesus because we're afraid of a little rejection and a little ridicule? Are we walking worthy of God? Is the Word of God at work in us? Do we really believe there is a heaven to gain and a hell to lose? Are we speaking and telling people that Jesus saves? Some of you are going, Rick, come on, man. I just want to blend in. I just don't want to cause any trouble. I just want to be nice. Don't ask me to say anything to anybody about Jesus. Really? I mean, if that's where you are, I'm going, maybe you're not saved. Maybe you believe all the right stuff in your head, but your heart's never been touched and changed by the glory of God in Christ and by the grace of God in Christ. If we're unwilling to take this news to anybody, think of what Christ suffered for you. Jesus, even though he lived the best life ever, suffered abuse and torture and murder. He hung on a cross naked in shame. He was mocked. He did it to save us. How could we possibly be embarrassed of him when he was willing to endure so much for us? He says in Luke chapter 9, Whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed on that day. You don't want Christ to be ashamed of you? Don't be ashamed of him. Think of what he suffered for you. And then think of what others suffered for Christ. When believers in Christ in Islamic countries are being imprisoned, tortured, and even killed for their faith in Christ, it is scandalous that we here in Northeast Ohio shrink back from suffering ridicule and rejection and embarrassment for Christ. How can we look our brothers and sisters around the world in the face when we struggle with just handing out an invite card from church and say, hey, why don't you check out my church sometime? We don't even have the guts to do that. How can we look our brothers and sisters in the face? May we embrace what small amount of suffering we're called upon to bear. Think of what others suffer for Christ. And then think of the blessings promised when we do suffer for Christ. Here's what Jesus said. Blessed are you, this is in Matthew 5, when people insult you, and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you on account of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. When people ridicule you or reject you, be glad because they're really helping you gain blessings. You don't want to forfeit those blessings. Think of the blessings promised when we suffer for Christ. Now, with all of that, we get an understanding of why these Thessalonian believers needed to be encouraged so Paul writes them this letter. 
And I want us to see the structure of this section, and we can see kind of a method or a game plan for encouragement. So how are you going to encourage other people? First, constant gratitude. That's in verse 13. He says, and we also thank God constantly for this, for the way you're living your life. So when you encourage someone, tell them you're grateful to God for them. I thank God that he made you the way he did. I thank God that you're in my life. Constant gratitude. Second, specific observation. Specific observation. Now, we're not going to dive into this again. We've already seen what Paul sees in them. They walked worthy. The word worked in them. They were willing to speak the name of Christ to others so that they could be saved, and they suffered for Jesus. But when you're encouraging people, be specific in your encouragement. Say, here is what I see in you. We want to encourage other people in a way that actually shapes their souls. One of my friends in ministry is named Mac Lake, and he says this, when encouragement fails to be specific, it fails to shape your soul. Specific observation. Third, intentional face time. And you see this in verse 17, Paul says, but since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, remember he had to leave town because of persecution, we, we um, were torn away from you for a short time in person, not in heart. We endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. Now, as far as we know, Paul wasn't able to see these Thessalonians face to face at that time, but they knew that's what he longed for. So in your encouragement, let people know, I want to see your face. I want to hear your laugh. I want to give you a hug. I want to give you a high five. I want to sit down over a cup of coffee. I want to have you over. And if you can do any of that, do it. Intentional FaceTime. And number four, joyful expectation. Joyful expectation. Now, the Thessalonians had asked questions about the return of Christ. And they were confused about what was going on. And we'll talk about that in later chapters in 1 Thessalonians. But Paul is starting to think about the return of Christ and and and. and He's, he's thinking, well, am I going to be ashamed on that day or am I going to be proud on that day? And he's thinking, you know what? I'm going to be proud on that day. And one of the reasons why I'm going to be proud is because of the Thessalonians. Look at verse 19. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? You are our glory and joy. Paul planted this church in Thessalonica. He shared Jesus. He made disciples. He formed this new church. And their eternal tickets were transformed from tickets to hell to tickets to heaven. And the trajectory and the destiny of the lives of men, women, boys, and girls were changed forever. And Paul says, when Jesus comes back, you guys are going to be my reward. You're my hope. You're my joy. You're my crown. I'm going to be bragging about how Jesus saved you for all eternity. Now, what does that mean for us? Well, an opportunity exists for those who don't yet know Jesus to meet him, to love him, to be ready for his return. And if you will play your part in sharing your love of Jesus with them, then they can be your hope and your glory and your crown when Jesus comes again. This is why CVC was started 30 years ago. We're going to go to heaven, take as many people with us as we possibly can because we want crowns and glory Enjoy there. That's why we've sponsored 18 new churches since we started 30 years ago. That's why we 
Invite people to new life in Christ. It's what we're about. That's why we just sent a team to Indonesia. Yesterday, I got a text from Joe Valenti, uh, who led that team to Indonesia, and he was telling me a little bit about their trip. He talked about some of the suffering that takes place there, not so much for the tourists like us who come, but he said one of the indigenous Indonesian team members had to move off the island because of threats on his life and because he got jumped. Persecution is alive and well. Then he goes, we had many opportunities to share. Perhaps the most common theme that we heard was that everyone was scared to die. One of the guys from G Village, where you, Rick, have been as well, said he often cries while lying in bed because he's so afraid of what's going to happen when he dies. An excellent reminder of their need for the good news. Another interesting story. After sharing with a man for over two hours, we asked, have you ever heard this story? His response, no, never. That's why we spend the money to send teams to Indonesia because we want to share in reaching them. And when they're reached, they'll be part of our glory, our joy, and our crown when Christ returns. And listen, we just did a funeral here on Friday for two, those two girls that were killed in North Royalton last weekend. We all know how long anybody has. So there's an urgency about getting this message out. Someday in heaven, will someone you led, you loved, taught, served, helped, will they be there? Who is that? And what's it going to be like when you see them and they see you there? Part of your reward in heaven is knowing that someone is there because of you. Paul didn't wait until he got to heaven to let the Thessalonians know, you're my pride and joy. Paul wears his feelings about the Thessalonians on his sleeve. He's emotional. And here's the thing. How do you think it made them feel when they got a letter like this that says, hey, you are my pride and joy? Could it be that since Paul is God's spokesman, that he's speaking for God, that they begin to feel like we must be then God's pride and joy? Could it be through our encouragement, an encouragement that you give to somebody else will actually shape how they experience God? Because many people that you know, they feel like God is ticked at them, God is not happy with them. But if you let them know you're my pride and joy, just maybe they will begin to believe that they are God's pride and joy too. Who, who do you know that needs to hear from you? You're my pride and joy. Hey, it's Father's Day. Dads, you got some kids that need to know from you that they're your pride and joy. Maya Angelou once said, people will forget what you said. People will forget what you did. But people will never forget how you made them feel. Who needs to know from you? You're my pride and joy. Four ingredients for encouragement. Constant gratitude, specific observation, intentional face time, and joyful expectation. Look at that screen there. Which one of those do you do best? And which one is there that you need to grow in the most? Today we're going to do something a little differently. Um, what I'm going to do in real time is I'm going to write a, a very short note just to model for you how to write a note of encouragement. I'm going to kind of read it aloud as I write it. Um, and I'm kind of focused on some of the 
church planters that we have sent out from here. So first service, I wrote one for Andy Sikora, who left here, was our young adult pastor and planted Renew Communities. This one I'm going to write to Dan Anthony, who for many years was a youth pastor here, and he's uh, leading Rock Point Church out in the Westlake community. So, can I have a little music, please? <laughs> this is not a Jimmy Fallon skit, by the way. <laughs> All right, dear Dan, I thank God that something unusual, unusual, has happened at CBC. We've had only three youth pastors in 30 years. That's amazing. And a testimony to the character of our youth pastors. You were an important part of that accomplishment. Praise God for you. You have planted strong church and I know you are true to the scriptures you and Megan inspire a lot of us with your commitment to each other and your precious family. It's been too long. I hope we can hang out soon. I have Many things to thank God for here in Northeast Ohio. And you are truly one of them. I'm proud of you and what you've done. Joining Jesus in his joy, Rick. Okay. I got a little long-winded, sorry. What, what, did you, what, did you, what did you see that I did that you liked?
Somebody. All right, it was encouraging. What else? Hopefully. There was some specificity there. What else? All right, some love, some of his accomplishments and what he's done. How could I have done better? You know it could have been better, right? It was perfect. Thank you. (laughs) It's my Father's Day gift from you. Thank you. Well, it wasn't. It could have been better, right? could have been better. All right, you know what we're going to do now? In your program is a card. So we're going to give you a, a, a chance to do this right here, right now. Now, what I would encourage you to do is uh, think of those four things. Constant gratitude, specific observation, some FaceTime, and then write down um, how this person could, is your pride and joy. Some of you dads might want to write one of your kids right here, right now. Some of you might want to write your dad today. So pick somebody that needs encouragement, all right? And I know some of you, they did the last service. They're like going, I ain't writing nothing, dude. (laughs) Come on. There's nobody in your life who needs encouragement? Well, I'm not a good writer. I don't care. That'll mean even more. If, If they know you're not a good writer, and you know you're not a good writer, and you write them something, holy cow. You got two minutes. Ready, set, go. I know some of you, most of you probably, you're not finished. That's okay. You got a head start. You can finish it a little bit later today. Um, Looking at the clock. We got another service coming. (laughs) People will forget what you said. People will forget what you do. But people will not forget how you made them feel. So be an encourager. And just like that text that I received earlier that made me want to live up, walk a little straighter, serve a little better, reach a little higher, you can do that for somebody else. So do it. Do it. And maybe you're here today and you've never received Christ. It's important that you receive Christ. It's necessary to receive Christ because you've got a destination, heaven or hell. And you can't be the kind of encourager you need to be without Jesus and his help. So you need Jesus. You know, I mentioned earlier, we've got this life conversation guide, three circles. Again, you can pick one of these up out in the foyer. I just want to walk you through it. And if you're here today and you know Christ, pray for the people that are here that don't, that they'll respond. You see, when God made everything, it was good. God's design was good. Everything worked perfectly. But we know the world's not that way, right? We're living in a world where murders in North Royalton take place, and it's horrific. We live in a broken world where there's hunger and trouble and injustice. How do we get from God's design, which is perfect, to brokenness? It's sin. We sinned and rebelled against God And the world became a broken place. And we're all part of the problem. And what we do to fix our brokenness is we try all kinds of things that take us further away from God. We have all these things we do. We pursue education. We pursue careers. And we pursue entertainment. And 
Some people pursue alcohol and partying and all kinds of things that just take us further away from God. And God says, I'm going to solve the problem that you can't solve, and I'm going to send my son Jesus. And there's something called the gospel. And the gospel is the good news of Christ, that Christ has come, God in the flesh. He lived the life we could never live. He died on a cross in our place for our sins, and he rose again from the grave so that we don't have to die. He takes away our sin. And the way we engage him is through repenting. We're stopping going our own way. We're turning and going in his way. And we believe in Jesus. And once we do that, we can recover and pursue God's design for our lives. Some of you need to respond to that message. And maybe today's your day. So I want to ask everybody to bow their heads, close their eyes. And if you're here and you've never responded to this message, and you want to pursue God's design for your life, then just repeat a little prayer after me. It's in your program. It'll be on the screen. But just repeat it after me, silently, in your heart. Just say, Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for the salvation that you have provided for me through the death and resurrection of Jesus. I receive your word as the word of God. I want your word to work in me. I want to be forgiven. Help me walk worthy of you. Help me be willing to suffer. To take your word to others who need to be saved. May I be ready for the return of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, there's a response card in your program. Check the box. Today, I'm receiving Christ as my Lord and Savior. And we would love to help you grow in your faith in Christ. People will forget what you say and what you do. They won't forget how you make them feel. Be an encourager.